Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And I've said it before, love being a Met. I think it would be really cool to be one for my entire career. I've said it before, there's no better feeling than running out there and pitching in front of these fans. Um, New York Mets fans have been nothing but great to me, and I, I can't thank you guys enough. And last but not least, uh, Mets fans. You guys have been nothing but great to me, and um, I've said it before, there's no better place to pitch, and I love running out on City Field in front of you guys. Stepping out there was a little bit emotional, um, you know, big ovation. Um, kind of took a second, took it all in. I love pitching here. Um, you know, this is a great atmosphere to play in. Um, fans have been great to me. It's been a long time, so to be back out there is definitely rewarding. And then, you know, to be on the road and have Mets fans give me support like that was a really cool thing. <laughs> so I, I love pitching here. Uh, Mets fans have been great to me. Uh, I love taking them out here in front of them. You've been following this closer than anybody. Let's start with Mets owner Steve Cohen. You spoke with him as all of this was coming out. What came out of your conversation with him? Well, Michelle, uh, Steve Cohen was at peace with this, uh, and I don't want to imply that he was just like, whatever, this is fine. He wanted DeGrom. He would have been happy to sign him. Uh, so, of course, some disappointment there. Uh, but I didn't hear anger. I didn't hear freaking out. I just heard, uh, we'll wish DeGrom the best, and we'll move on to the next thing. They have to stay focused, uh, the Mets do, uh, on just replacing him in the rotation, uh, figuring out whether they're going to re-sign Brandon Nimmo, augmenting that bullpen, and doing a whole lot of other things they have to do to be just as good uh, next year as they were this past year in 2022. So, uh, it's on to the next, and that was the vibe from Steve Cohen. Uh, the next in this case is Justin Verlander, who they're very much after, and if not him, Carlos Rodon. DeGrom started just 11 games with the Mets last season, 26 games the last two years. The Mets would have obviously loved to have him back in the rotation, like you said, but do you think that they would have matched that Rangers deal or anything even close to it if given the opportunity? No chance. Uh, the Mets try to operate a rational organization, as most teams do. That doesn't make the Mets special. Uh, what the Rangers did is not being viewed as rational in baseball circles uh, or even just doesn't pass the smell test of a guy who, has, as you said, Michelle, had a hard time getting on the mound the past couple of years. Uh, to sign into that kind of deal, uh, that kind of length, the Mets would have gone three for DeGrom. I don't think they would have gone four, but perhaps they could have been pushed if they were in a competitive bidding situation. Uh, but in this one was so above and beyond what most teams would have considered a good idea. And the Mets never even got the chance. They wouldn't have done it, but they never got the chance to make that decision because they were told DeGrom was going to the Rangers without really having an opportunity to counter or make a last and best offer. So this wasn't about uh, Steve Cohen or Billy Epler's motivation. It wasn't about Steve Cohen's money. It was about DeGrom just saying, See you later. I'm going to Texas. Yeah, very interesting. Well, you mentioned it, you know, on to the next. So now the question is, what is next? You mentioned Verlander uh, and Rodon. How far would the Mets go to get one or potentially both of those arms? I don't think it's going to be both, Michelle. I think it'll be aggressive on one of those players. Aggressive means different things 
uh, to each with, with Verlander. Maybe you guarantee a third year. They'd like to keep it at two years for a pitcher about to turn 40, but we'll see where the bidding goes. Other teams like the Dodgers and on Verlander. Uh, Radon's an interesting case because he was healthy last year, but has a checkered injury history prior to that. So would you go four or five years? Uh, that's something that the Mets are not so sure about. They prefer shorter-term deals. So Verlander really is the perfect fit if he would agree uh, to come to the Mets. And then they're going to acquire another starting pitcher in a different category. One or two-year deal, guys, lower cost, mid-to-back rotation, whether that's a return of Taiwan Walker, other names are Kyle Gibson, Ross Stripling. Uh, there's, there's plenty in that category, and the Mets are going to get one of them. So uh, before this offseason is over, and perhaps before the winter meetings next week are over, Mets will have two new starting pitchers. Yeah, so obviously starting pitching is a need, but there's other gaps on the team as well. Brandon Nimmo's a free agent. There's other big names on the market. Could we see a big splash at some point, uh, maybe even at the winter meetings, aside from a starter? They ha- do have their limits, the Mets do. They're way over uh, the luxury tax uh, threshold, of course. And there's this new Steve Cohen tax that, that has harsh penalties the more you spend. So uh, they'll have a $300 million payroll this coming year. But once you get through adding a top pitcher, which they want to do, adding another pitcher, adding a couple relievers. It gets tricky to even make sure you keep Nimmo at that point. So uh, they'll have to be judicious with their spending here, but definitely more money opens up, which I think is good for the team uh, with DeGrom going elsewhere. Yeah, the way to stay positive. I love it. All right, Andy, thank you so much. As always, you do a terrific job. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, things just got real. You guys got me up here on a Saturday morning. I was out a little late last night, and I'm, you know, trying to get the cobwebs out of the head. Thought maybe I'd had an extra day before the winter meetings to sleep in a little bit and relax and get ready, because that's... As you know, now that we're kind of like back to the normal winter meetings, things get wild. They get wild real quick. Maybe I'm late with this reaction, but I always like to, as you all know, see a a, a piece of news go out, marinate on it, see what kind of information comes out in context, and then react. Because when you first hear the news, and I'll tell you a funny little story. So I was out, and I'm probably going to regret sharing this, but I was out with my wife at a a really nice uh, event, an art show. Uh, for an artist that we really enjoy. And uh, late into the event, you know, probably around, what, 9 o'clock, 8.30, whatever it may be. And uh, it was actually, the guy was doing some live painting too. And, uh, you know, everyone's really enjoying the event. They're enjoying the art. They're talking about it. And uh, I get a little vibration on the cell phone. And I look down and I see, you know, and I got it from ESPN Fantasy. That's the funny, because I have my, my fantasy app 
on the phone. Jacob DeGrom signs with the Texas Rangers for five years, $185 million. And then, you know, you guys know as a sports fan, I'm, I'm trying to play it off. I'm trying to casually play it off. Your heart sinks. And now the mind is racing and you're like, ah, oh, well, do I check to see if this is just speculation? Is, is it something that they jumped the gun a little bit? And um, no, when Jeff Paston says it and ESPN comes out with it and it was done, it wasn't even like, you know, they're nearing a deal. It was done. So, yeah, I'm going to regret you guys. You know, who knows what kind of emails I'll get at an art event when you should be sitting around waiting for the latest news to come out. Well, you know, you got to be well-rounded, fellas. You got to be well-rounded here. So anyway, uh, on a serious note, yes. So Jacob deGrom signs with the Texas Rangers five years, 180, 185, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. Um, I think and you heard that very long intro, a little bit of fun with the deGrom uh, you know, saying how much he loves it here. And then obviously the more serious part of it, which is I think the only writer that has his pulse truly on where the Mets are going. And the fact that he could get a comment from Steve Cohen, look, that tells you how connected the guy is. Sure, part of SNY, that helps, and that's always helped. But the guy's obviously earned a level of respect that he's going to understand where the organization is going to go. So, you know, when he reports what happened, the reaction where this is going, take it seriously, because from the last four years, uh, he's been the guy that I know when there's smoke with Andy Martino, there's fire, for lack of a better word here. But I thought Steve Cohen's reaction was perfect. Good luck and move on. I mean, I don't don't want to get into this craziness. I see people screaming, Salicata, he doesn't want to win, and now we got, look, I love John Heyman, and I would say this to him, I don't know what his issue is with the Grom. I thought there was a bit of a hit piece on him in the post about, you know, certainly I don't have a problem with him questioning the value of the contract with the with starting pitching and Zach Eflin getting forty million bucks. Can you really say that giving Jacob Degrom one hundred eighty million for five years is crazy? Because I can't. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. Seems like they don't like his politics. They don't like the fact that he didn't want to wear a mask, you know, during COVID and didn't want to get vaccinated. You know, he's not alone. There was. You know, 40% of the country, if not more, was in that boat. But that's a whole other story for another day. That's not what this show is about. I, I mean, I'm here to talk about Jacob DeGrom, the baseball player. I mean, I'm not going to parse out what his, you know, politics are, or how he handled uh, the COVID and things like that. I, uh, and, and to say that Verlander or Rodon, who we'll talk about in a minute, are better fits, I, I can't say that. Personally, I haven't heard all great things about Rodon as a person either. Now, I'm not going to say what they are, but I haven't heard them. And these are people that you know, you know, knew him a little bit from the White Sox organization. So, uh, you know, that's 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 not worth getting into that conversation. Uh, the last player, I'll start with this, though. The last player that walked out the door of this magnitude, and I think the last player that I felt this way, I was thinking about how I felt when I heard DeGrom work that walked out the door last night. And I thought of Mike Hampton, and that was, that certainly hurt because he had just come off a... Dominant postseason, and and there was the, the the pain of the Subway Series was still stuck in my craw, but he wasn't a Met more than a year, and I thought of Jose Reyes a little bit, but that was a bit of a fait accompli with the Wilpons, with the finances, and all that stuff. I still thought the Mets had a shot there, uh, but Reyes, and it turned out the contract wasn't a great contract, and I thought that contract because he was a player with his legs, and his legs had so many issues, and he had just had his first healthy season in a while. I wasn't comfortable, especially with the the kind of financial situation the Mets were in, 
with Reyes, uh, you know, who was at that point a lifelong Met, the Energizer Bunny, similar to what I think Brandon Nimmo is to this team. And, you know, okay, I thought of that, and that hurt a little bit. But really the the best comparison I have, and I'm really curious, you know, to hear what you guys have to say, email, Twitter, at Mike Silver Media, whatever. I think it's the Dallas Strawberry going to L.A. That's the last time I felt this way. And the, and, and the only criticism I could see here of the Mets is how they handled maybe the negotiations. It sounds like they made him a three-year deal for $120 million. And if you remember, actually, the Mets didn't handle the strawberry negotiations well. They probably should have signed him before he hit free agency. Um, he had a great year in 1990. And, I mean, look, think about it. That was, an, I think, a three-year, uh, $9 million, you know, what is it, you know, $9 million contract, you know, three, four, five million dollars a year. The strawberry contract by today's standards, it's like you won't even get a reliever for it. You know, 1990, a long time ago. I'd have to go back and look. It wasn't a crazy contract. When he did it, it was like three or four years, and it was like $12 million or something, and it was like, wow, you got this great big contract. You know, It's probably more than that, but I remember it like looking at it, and it's not. But um, And I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, but, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, angry here with the, with the Mets. You know, maybe they misread the, the market. They offered him a three-year deal at $40 million AAV, right around what Verland, uh, which Scherzer got. I was in the camp that I didn't think anybody would blow that away. If it was about state tax in Texas, then I understand. Why does the guy care if he's making 37? He's looking at it from a pragmatic lifestyle, total value of the package. It didn't sound like he was all into the AAV and beating Scherzer. Good for him. That's important to some people. I thought he might get, you know, a shorter term. I could even see him get $100 million for two years, get that $50 million AAV. It does sound like the Mets are trying not to go too crazy above the 300. So that plays into it. Uh, the only way that you guarantee DeGrom, and Nimmo for that matter, coming back, is you had to make this thing happen like you did with Edwin Diaz. And quite honestly, after reading especially and hearing Edwin Diaz, Edwin Diaz wanted to be here and had a high priority on security and the bird in hand versus two in the bush. I don't think he was as I don't think his appetite to test the market was was quite the same. I mean, think about it. He got virtually the same contract that Aroldis Chapman got. He might have been able to get a shorter term deal and get more. He does have an opt out, so maybe in three years he goes and gets more money, and and that's his prerogative. It, it, it it's not the same. These other two guys wanted to go. And they wanted to go and test the market. Remember the clip I, I gave you guys from A-Rod with the uh, the Sherman and Heyman show? You know, he talked about early in his career, it was less about him, and it was more about the agents and marketing and, and friends and, and family. In the second term, it was like, where did he want to play? And maybe with DeGrom at 34, similar to when A-Rod was in his mid-30s or early 30s, this is where he wanted to play. He wanted a better environment for his family in Texas. He wanted an environment with less media. I mean, think about this. Do you really blame him after you read the John Heyman piece? Do you really blame him for not wanting to play here? Because that's what, you know, John, and again, I like John. I'm not, you know, trying to make this about John. Because if, you know, I could text John now and I could say, hey, I said this about you and I have no problem saying it because I respect his work and he has a right to that uh, opinion. Um, I don't agree with the method of going out. I felt it was personal. But hearing that, knowing that you're going to have the salicatas of the world and the fans, and and I mean, I laugh when I hear people say, 
well, he doesn't want to win. He's going to a 68-win team. Well, in, in the wild card world, that could turn around in a snap. Maybe, you know, we, we weren't watching Texas all year. They had, you know, they made a couple of big imports in Simeon and Sager. That Simeon was overpaid. Sager, bit of a better deal. Um, that could turn around in a wild card environment. You win 17 more. I mean, the Mets won 24 more games year over year. People probably saying that they weren't probably. They were saying about the Mets as a, as a losing team when Scherzer went versus the Dodgers with a 77-win team. Um, you know, to say that, it's just like, you know, come on. And, and then you hear all this, and you're like, why would he want to be here for that? Why would he want to constantly have to answer stupid questions? And maybe let's factor something else in here. Maybe he knows it's going to be harder to match those numbers. Remember something I said many years ago. I said about Alonzo. I say about DeGrom. When you set the bar so high, meeting that bar, and Doc Gooden talked about this on the show. After 85, 86, he goes out and throws a shutout, only strikes out two players. And they're like, oh, that wasn't a great outing. I just pissed a shutout. It's a hard thing to do. When you go to Texas, they don't have that history. Their expectations are different. So maybe that's part of it. You know, for Lander comes in here, whatever he gives you, he gives you. He doesn't have to be as good as he was in Houston. Really the same for Scherzer. Anything he gives you, even if it might not be vintage Scherzer, is better than what you were getting. So you got to look at it from that point of view. Um, I could understand, you know, look, the politics, you know, everything about COVID. I could say why the media doesn't like him. These are all things that they like to, to latch on to with the, some of the, the – their, their want to be virtuous. Um, so there's that. I'm not mad at DeGrom. Cohen handled it perfectly. Um, this was – and I said this weeks ago. This was coming down to money. If the Mets went out there and exceeded that contract and made up for the taxes, which would be very, very difficult – very expensive, and highly risky. I think he's a Met today. I really do. It would be very difficult for the Mets to do that, and it would make the future payrolls and potentially their ability to sign Alonzo, sign McNeil. You know, maybe they want to get into the Otani thing. You know, that's a possibility too, guys. That's, that's something that, that, that's next year. So they're trying to put the best team together this year and the flexibility for next year. Um, so there's that starting pitching markets going wild. I guess I was wrong. The economy, the global recession, things that, you know, are talked about, uh, the uncertainty, baseball doesn't care. Uh, the gravy train will continue. Uh, there's that. What do I think about DeGrom's tenure? Uh, that's, that's a different situation. Uh, he was never Seaver. He was never Seaver. I, I, even if he pitched another five years for the Mets and matched Seaver's wins total, uh, his wins above replacement total, I should say, uh, at, I'm using baseball reference, it never would have felt like Seaver. Seaver would have. Seaver is a, a, a 300 game winner. He's one of the best five to ten pitchers all time, statistically that could be proven. And if he had pitched for the Mets from '77 to '84 and then possibly '85, '86, if he had pitched his entire career with the Mets. He wouldn't be touched. It would take a phenomenal pitcher to touch him. Um, he's probably better than Gooden. I don't think the connection with the fans is the same as Gooden, and I'll tell you why. Gooden was charismatic, dynamic. You know, he was cool. That team was cool. Uh, DeGrom was bland. And you know why I respected the bland persona? Because he came up 
without fanfare, and we had all these cartoon characters around him, and it was, you know, the Dark Knight and Thor and, you know, Syndergaard riding in on horses, and, you know, it was like, it was silliness, and I'm like, the guy came in and just pitched. I will always remember Game 5. You don't have DeGrom. He doesn't do what he did in Game 5 in L.A. There is not a 2015 pennant, and 2015 goes down as a as a night, nice late-season run. Aw, shucks, we, you know, we... You know, we went to game five against the Dodgers who spent all this money and everybody we talking about, you know, oh, we'll, we'll, we're rower prime to take the next step. And as you saw, the next step never happens. It never happens sometimes. So he, the Mets won a pennant and DeGrom was a big reason. Yeah, Daniel Murphy going bananas. We know that. But Daniel Murphy goes bananas and DeGrom gets blown out of the, the water and it gives up four or five runs in that first inning, there is, you know, the game's over. C'est la vie. He'll pro- he probably got, he, he should have probably won a third straight Cy Young. The COVID season robbed him of that. Bauer had a great, you know, eight, 10 starts, whatever it was. I have to think if that was a normal 25, 30 start season, there would have been some uh, normalization of, of the numbers and DeGrom would have, you know, came out solid. Um, you know, he just went out and pitched and pitched at a high level and honed his craft at a high level. And what we saw up until July of 2021 is a stretch of pitching that you and I will probably never see again in our lifetime. I find it hard to believe. That period, that year, which we got robbed of the second half of that year, I, I got to think we saw Tom Seaver that year. We saw a great pitcher in 19. We saw a great pitcher in 18, a Cy Young pitcher. However... What we saw in 2021, and, and, and believe me, he knows it. He knows that that's always going to be hanging over him. And I warned everybody. I had this conversation time and time and time again. How hard it is to replicate. Pete Alonso saw a little bit of that challenge in 2020 in the shortened COVID season. He's been able to now find his way where you know what kind of player he is. He's not, you know... Just because you don't hit 50, you hit less than fifty home runs doesn't mean you're the same. He's the same player. He drives and runs, hits a lot of home runs. You know, you're gonna fluctuate in how many home runs you hit year, year year over year. And I was disappointed in Degrom. I didn't, you know, I was disappointed in the Atlanta start. Doesn't mean I it takes away who he was. Do I think he's gonna be the 2021 Degrom any, anymore? No, I, I don't. I think he's gonna be Scherzer. I think he's gonna be Verlander. I think in a, in, a, in a vacuum, there are going to be games where, like that Sunday afternoon, that late Sunday afternoon, that great series where they took four out of five from the Braves, you're going to see him go out there, and, and it's just going to be insane. Now, similar to Pedro Martinez, you get it in six innings, five innings, six innings. You can't push him. It's very, I, I, I almost think his late career will be very similar to Pedro's, where you have to, that 100-pitch mark is going to be the demarcation line. So from my perspective, the only negative out of everything that came out in the last 24 hours is, are the Mets misreading the market? Uh, I know it's been reported, so I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. The fact that this happened in a year when there's Verlander and Rodon, I'm not as interested in Rodon. To me, it's Verlander a bust if you want to keep that elite one-two rotation. Happened early. There are other options. In another year, DeGrom is the only ace on the market. Now you got to pivot and change your, your the fabric of how you build the team. Which we'll talk about now. 
Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So the Grom is gone. Uh, Billy Epler has said from the start, and when he signed Scherzer last offseason, he built this rotation on a strong one-two punch. He wants to keep that. You have two ways you can keep that, Rodon and Verlander. It sounds like even before this DeGrom news, they were a bit smitten with Verlander and who he is. I mean, there's a guy that very much like Scherzer, been around a while, really learned his body, learned how to pitch. Um, Rodon is a guy who has a history of injuries, has really, really good stuff. I don't think he, he's definitely not in the category of Verlander. Younger, and I think if you're if you want to keep these things to two or three years, Carlos Rodon's not the guy that's going to sign that kind of contract. I don't see other than the fact that they're connected to a Zoom meeting. I don't see anything that indicates that that's a realistic scenario. And I would not. You know, if you were going to go and sign a risky deal, you give it to DeGrom. You don't give it to Rodon. You do not give it to Rodon. And if you want to keep it in that three-year window with Bucks contract, with the fact that you kind of have this expensive team right now, you want to keep some flexibility for Alonzo and McNeil because this is much about them. You have guys that are going to get expensive that you want to sign. Think about the Diaz opt-out. We all know that this is a two- or three-year window for this team to compete and win. And they may have to take a step back after that unless they have some serious help from the minor leagues, which there is some positives on the offensive side. You got Ronnie Mauricio tearing it up down in the Caribbean League over there, the Dominican League, wherever he's playing, winter ball. You got Alvarez, you got Beatty, you got Viento. So you have some real cheap, potentially high output offensive weapons. Me, I would go to Verlander and give him the same kind of deal that you were going to give DeGrom. 40, 
40 million a year, try to get him for two. Maybe you got to guarantee the third. Because let me tell you, if you want Scherzer to opt back in for next after next year, I don't know if he opts back in knowing he's the only guy. I think he wants help. Now, maybe that's, you know, part of their plan is to go after Otani. You know, you got to look long-term here. So maybe they don't care about that. But, you know, you're staring down the barrel where a year from now, you have no ace. And I'll tell you what. You see the uh, Nimmo walk. And then, you know, you sign a uh, an Andrew Haney or a Ross Stripling. You know, I'm a little disappointed in in how they want to go over Lander, and they don't want to play in the or reportedly Martino thinks they don't want to play in the Bassett, Ty, uh, Jamison, uh, Tyon um, uh, market. You know that to me, if you sign, I'll tell you what, you sign Valander, that solves your Degrom issue. But if you go and you don't sign uh, Ty, it's Tyon, Tyone, if you don't sign Tyone or Bassett. As your three, and you go back to the Taiwan Walker, Ross Stripling, Jose Quintana group, like it's reported. You know, I know everybody loves Andrew Haney, but he's a guy. He ain't going to stay healthy. You know, he's going to make 30 starts. Your rotation, your rotation is not as good as last year. Yeah, you could argue you only got, you know, you know, DeGrom came back. They already were in the playoffs. By the time DeGrom came back, it was about winning a championship and winning the division because the Braves were playing at a historically good level. You didn't need DeGrom to make the playoffs. And you survived way more than the reports when it first came out that he was having his shoulder issue. You, you know, they said, oh, maybe six to eight weeks, maybe be back by June 1st. He didn't come back until after the, after the trade deadline, which I predicted from the start. I said you would, you'd be having your 4th of July barbecues before DeGrom was even talked about regarding coming back on the mound. So if the, if the, if Valander signs, and that's who I would go for, not Rodon. And I would not overpay for Rodon if you lose out on Verlander. At that point, you have Scherzer, you go out, and you try to get yourself a couple of good pitchers, hopefully on reasonable deals, like Bassett, like Tyone. If you tell me Verlander's not an option, get Bassett, get Tyone. Tyone. I'm I'm never going to get this guy's name right. Uh, Yeah, Tyone. You get those two guys, and you 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 blend them in with Peterson and Carrasco as like that back end innings eater lefty McGill. And then you got something. You cannot tell me Andrew Haney after Verlander and Scherzer. Uh, Ross Stripling, who's interesting. I wouldn't mind him, you know, if it's a shorter term deal. You know, this guy who doesn't walk a lot of guys seems to be a contact pitcher who could pitch, could relieve too. So he could kind of swing uh, back and forth and kind of almost like a better version of Trevor Williams. Um, you know, that's, that's the thing. And then I'll tell you what, I keep hearing about, they don't want to go a lot over 300 million. They only could have money to sign a big time starter. No Nimmo. I'm sorry, Kevin Kiermeyer, Cody Bellinger. There better be a trade in the works unless they really believe, because remember they need a center fielder. You only have one DH. You already have a third baseman in Escobar. You have a first baseman in Pete Alonso. Where are these guys going to play? You need someone who could actually play center field. Nimmo's the perfect fit on offense. And if you don't sign Nimmo, even if you sign Verlander, and I said this even before the whole DeGrom situation, I don't see them being better than last year. And I don't, I mean, can they make the playoffs? Sure, they're a tournament team. 
I mean, they might even come back more to the pack to the Phillies. I mean, Scherzer and Bassett, I'm not sure is as good as Wheeler and Nola. You know, Scherzer, DeGrom, nobody's, that's, that's, you know, I said, if Verlander is, is in the mix, you're not going to, it's going to make this DeGrom thing not feel as bad. And if it aligns with the timeline where they want to keep these pitchers within a two, three year window. Because there's a lot, the 2025, 2026 Mets, we have no idea what they're going to look like. And it's very possible we're talking about a step back rebuild. And maybe we're talking about how they won a title, hopefully. Maybe we're talking about how it didn't work out. They tried. They came as close as they could. They gave us some good memories. They built a foundation and a brand, and they got a nice ballpark. They're building up the neighborhood around them with the soccer team and, and hopefully you know restaurants or maybe a casino. And they got these young players that are going to let them play. You know They're probably not going to make the playoffs, but these guys are going to be part of the next foundation. And hopefully you sign Pete Alonso to be part of that and McNeil to be part of that, depending on how the next couple of years go, and away you go. That's what, you know, they don't want to have a broken down 40-something million dollar a year player in Verlander or DeGrom or Rodon, you know, sunk cost. They took that chance with Lindor. I told you guys time and time and time again, and I don't want to make this about Lindor. That's why I don't like 10-year deals. That's why I wanted to see Lindor play. Now, look, Lindor... The Mets were at their best when Lindor and Pete were hot as a as a pistol. So the reason the Mets won 100 plus games is Lindor was a big part. Played every day, even when he hurt, you know fractured his finger. But he's clogging up the payroll. And if he becomes a sunk cost, and a pitcher becomes a sunk cost, and then you got to go out and you got to figure out a way to pay Pete, you got to pay McNeil. Yeah, you know, Diaz maybe potentially late in that contract won't look so good. You could have a very expensive, ugly team. They know that. They're trying to avoid that. They're trying to keep as much flexibility as possible so they can keep this thing moving while they figure out their farm system. We've talked about that a lot. So, really, and, you know, I'm not going on more than one segment. This is a reaction show. Not mad at DeGrom. Disappointed. It went exactly as I told you. This was about DeGrom getting paid. And he got paid. He got paid better than he can for the Mets, from the Mets. And he got to an environment that he wants to be at. There's no reason to hit him out the door like Heyman did. There's no reason to hit him out the door like the Salicatas of the world did. Okay? You and me and what we value and where we want to live, nobody you know, has a right to tell us. We have no right to tell him. Does it hurt that he doesn't like this environment? Does it bother you maybe that he's not the same political persuasion as you? Of course, I get it. You always want your your athletes to align with everything that you're about, but they don't. And that's okay. And the good news is you still have a rich owner. You still have options. How realistic Verlander is, I don't know. That's why I thought DeGrom was the best fit. You knew he was here. He had a history here. I thought there'd be some pull with that history. And I didn't think, I did not think any team would have offered the long-term years and beating a Mets two or three-year AAV offer. The Mets probably had to be more in the 45 to $50 million a year AAV for that. And even so, I don't know. I mean, would I have done three years, $150 million? Yeah, I would have for DeGrom, $50 million a year. I would have. 
Would that have got it done? I mean, they never really got down that road. That's where the whole, hey, uh, you know, he's starting to look. Once you get out to free agency, you don't lock these guys up when you have, you know, that that good feeling anything could happen. You start with Mike Hampton. And it's interesting I brought up Strawberry. You know, Strawberry similarly, and Frank Cashin told me this when he was elected into the Mets Hall of Fame. I had a nice one-on-one conversation with him about how Strawberry's agent at the time wanted him to be in um, films and movies. And it was a, a personal decision to go to L.A. And Daryl has been on my show when I was on WGBB, and he regrets that. He regrets, and he'll tell you that. I don't think he just told me that. I mean, that was early on when he was first coming back into public life after his you know, career didn't end so well. Um, and certainly to, to Grom, he left for personal reasons. But unlike now how the Mets react, and we'll start to see that over the next few days with the winter meetings out in San Diego – the Mets reacted by bringing in Vince Coleman and changing the face of their team. And then a year later, trying to replicate Strawberry with a very good offensive player in Bobby Bonilla, but a guy that was expected to be Strawberry, who also wasn't built for the New York media, especially the New York media at that time, coming off of what they experienced with the Mets. You know, you got to remember the New York media at that time was in love with the 80s Mets grit and wildness in the same manner that to this day, many of them are in love with the 90s Yankees and their professionalism and toughness. So Bonilla comes into a situation where, you know, he's not wild um, and he's a different persona and he just wants to play baseball and, and, and put up numbers and go home. And, you know, he didn't like being criticized because he came from Pittsburgh where, you know, everybody cheers. We don't need to get into that conversation. And uh, it didn't work out. I don't see Verlander being that guy. And you get Verlander, and you will see no tears shed on this program if Verlander is signed. Would I prefer it to be the guy that grew up with the organization? Yeah. But I also want to win. I want to have in this great studio I have another another pennant, another championship banner for me to put up when I do my zooms. Now I'll tell you what concerns me more, and I'll leave you with this, is not whether they could sign Verlander. I think they have a good shot. It's what they do after that with Nimmo, with the offense, and with the other spot in the rotation. Because I don't think a rotation with Scherzer, Verlander, Walker, Stripling, Haney, Carrasco, Peterson, the McGill is your sixth, Lucchese is your seventh, is as good as what they had last year. And the Bassett and Taiwan, well, oh, Jesus, Taiwan, I got to get this. Taiwan, Taiwan, Jesus, this guy signs, I'm screwed. This guy signs, I'm screwed. Uh, without those two, you know, I, 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 again, I'm not saying they're a bad team, but I think they come very much down from that 100-win precipice. And to me, you, you, you're you less likely to be able to navigate because Bassett was big, even though he pitched poorly initially when Scherzer got hurt. Bassett was huge in his outings. You know, he was also able to go up one, uh, you know, in, in, when he faces a Sandy Alcantara, you know, he could he could compete a little bit with those kind of guys. I'm not sure Andrew Haney can. Not for a long period, maybe five innings. And can he get on the field at all? And he was like, he's a year away from being a disaster in, with the Yankees. I mean, disaster in general throughout his career. Now, I have a feeling that that's a serious name because Billy Epler knows him from Anaheim. You know, Stripling, that's a, a good pitcher. It's probably the same as Taiwan Walker. Maybe you go with what you know in Taiwan Walker. 
I mean, you put these guys in a hat, and it comes down to who's the who wants the best deal that's best for the the team because they're all kind of the same. I think there's some health issues with a couple of them. Jose Quintana, veteran. Come on, you give you know tell me that's equivalent to to Bassett. I don't think so. So anyway, so what's next? We have the winter meetings. Um, I think we're going to take a step back, not do a show tomorrow unless there's a need. Maybe. I think we're going to let this one marinate. Will I come to you? So I'm going to play the winter meetings by ear. When there's news like today, like we saw with DeGrom, I will be coming to you. Um, But these shows go so stale, so quick, that I'm not going to have a high velocity of them. So sit back, enjoy the winter meetings. All hope is not lost. There are other starting pitching options at the level that DeGrom was out there. That's the, the blessing. Uh, I'm more concerned about if they sign a Verlander, or let's say Rodon, what they're going to do after that. And then if they don't get Verlander or Rodon, then it'll be interesting to pivot because now you change the fabric of the team where maybe you, you go more offense and you try to do a, you know more of a late 90s, 2000 Mets team with a more balanced rotation, no ace, but some really good pitchers and beef up the offense it's possible be very it's going to be a very interesting 72 uh, to 96 hours the next week when we come as the week develops this time next week we're going to have a much clearer picture on the 2023 Mets and I think we're going to have some really good conversation about it so anyway I want to thank everybody for joining me on this Saturday morning you can check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can join up the podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your weekend. Buckle up. Winter meetings are here. Lots going to be happening. Until next time, take care, everybody. Credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega 
convenience stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.